Uh, good morning from me. My name's Peter. I'm uh, one of the pastors here. Anyone here feel like it's good to be out of the house? No? A couple, maybe? I want you to uh, imagine a conversation between a husband and a wife. Uh, uh, just in case you didn't know, it was recently uh, Valentine's Day, and I want you to imagine it is Valentine's Day in this story, and the, the husband is home first, and he's waiting for his wife to get home from work. He hears her... Uh, a car pull into the driveway, he grabs his bunch of flowers and he heads toward the front door. As the door opens, he begins his romantic speech. I love you so much. I love the way you make me feel. I love the way you cook for me and the kids. I love the money you bring in from working full time. It means I can buy the stuff that I want to buy. I love the way you organise things at home so I don't have to. I love... How's he going? <laughs> Terrible, right? He's not doing so well, right? And, and the reason why he's not doing so well is because he's actually said nothing about what he loves about her. Who, who does he probably love? Himself. Himself. Um, it's, it initially kind of sounds like he's into her, but really he's into himself. Um, and she contributes to that, and so he, uh, he says that. He's, he's kind of only into her to the degree that she's into him. That's, that's kind of the, uh, the idea there. Uh, he likes the benefits more than he likes her. Um, and, and I'll tell you something, if you're single, uh, you've probably had friendships that are like this as well. Uh, people who are uh, connected with you, um, but what they're connected with is what they can get from you more than who you are actually as a person. Um, they liked the benefits of being with you more than they actually liked you. And here's the bottom line. This is actually a problem with humanity. This is one of the things that humans actually do. It isn't just a, a problem from person to person. This is actually a problem with the way that we relate to God also. We're... Um, part of the way through uh, the Gospel of John, and I want to read the, uh, the text that we're going to be looking at today. So if you've got uh, your Bibles there, I'd love for you to grab those. We're going to go to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, we're going to start at verse 22. Uh, last week, Jesus walked on the water, or I should say, we looked at that. It would have been cool if he actually came here and did it last week. That would have been a good sermon illustration. Um, but he walked on the water. Um, in the section from last week, and now we're looking at the, the follow-on from that. So uh, the week before that was the feeding of the 5,000, the walking on the water, and, and that leaves us here in verse 22 of John chapter 6. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Interesting, they're trying to work out what's going on. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And they found him on the other side of the sea. They said to him, I asked a question that doesn't make any sense. And the reason why is because you'd expect them to go, how did you get here? But they don't ask that. Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. 
For on him God the Father has set his seal. And they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in, he, in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? As if the feeding of the 5,000 and the walking on the water is not enough. Uh, what work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Give us this bread always. You can see what's going on here. The people have tracked Jesus down. They found him. They want him to keep um, performing the signs. They want him to keep producing the goods. And so today we're actually going to look at three things. Very simple. Getting stuff, giving yourself, and getting both. So let's uh, hook into the first one, getting stuff. Have a look again at verse 25 to 27, and in particular verse 26. Verse 26. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. You know... They come over and they ask this question. And we see this actually happen in the Gospel of John pretty often is people ask a question and then Jesus answers the question they should have asked. You know, they ask the question, uh, Rabbi, when did you come here? <laughs> and then Jesus uh, starts talking about something completely different. He cuts to the chase and he points out their problem. I saw the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, but they missed the point of a sign. Well, what's the point of a sign? Well, the point of a sign in very basic language is to tell you something. It's to point to something. Um, and what was the sign of the feeding of the 5,000 supposed to be pointing to? What was it supposed to tell the people? Well, very simply, the feeding of the 5,000 was meant to tell the people who Jesus was. It was meant to bring revelation to him, to them, of who he was, I should say. But the people didn't see it. Uh, here's, here's what happened. <laughs> People only saw the provision, not the provider. They missed Jesus. And, you know, as we go through this conversation today, and I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it now, but we actually see another place a little bit further on where they're kind of hooked on the, um, the provision rather than the, the provider. Um, when they bring kind of Moses into play, they kind of say Moses is a really high rank because he was able to bring bread down from heaven and not just on one day, but for like over a million people for 40 years, he could just keep doing that. He could do repetitive, miraculous works to make people's lives go. And they kind of say to people, we want you to step up to the mark. Sorry, they say to Jesus, we want you to step up to the mark. But again, they kind of have missed the fact that Moses' provision of manna actually wasn't about Moses providing manna at all. The Father did that. And so they've kind of missed God in both cases. They missed the fact that Jesus is God and he's doing this amazing, miraculous work in the feeding of the 5,000. They missed that it was God doing all the work in, uh, in, in the story of the manna. You see what's going on here? The provision is meant to be directly connected to the provider, but they've split the provider and the provision apart. That's what they've done. And they've ended up loving the provision more than the provider. And you just seem to know something, that uh, this is not that uncommon for humanity. 
Uh, we have a tendency to split the provision from the provider and end up loving the provision more than the person who provided it. Here's another way of saying it, a simpler way. We can love God's gifts more than God. We can love what God delivers more than He Himself. You know, in this situation, in this uh, story, the people are only into Jesus for what He can give them. And you know, we can be like that too. <laughs> Who wants to own this with me? That, that we have times where we love the provision more than the provider. You know, we know this happens because we can see it in Scripture, but we know it happens also because we see it in humanity. This is one of the things that happens with humanity. We miss the person and we just want to get what we can out of them. And we do it to God as well. And here's the, here's the harrowing truth when, uh, about us when we do it with God. Um, if you're only into Jesus because of what He can give you, then the person you're really into is yourself right? And I, want, I, I don't have time. I could preach about six sermons on this, and those who have been around long enough would believe me in that, all right? But here's something. When you put yourself in the center of your life, you're guilty of self-worship. That, that's really what pride is. In a sense, the first idolatry for humanity was the idolatry of self. And as, as soon as you engage in, in idolatry, what it actually does is it splits what people give you from who they are around you and you only get interested in what they can give you because the person you're really interested in is yourself. You with me? And we do that with God. When we're in the centre of our lives and we're the focus of our lives, Jesus only matters to us because of the way that he can contribute to the way that our lives are going. Because it's all about us. <laughs> now, pretty, pretty intense little point to kick off on today, right? And some of you at this point might be going, hang on, hang on. Um, you know, there's, there's probably some of you questioning a couple of things right now, maybe, maybe. Um, and I want to just address these, address these quickly. One, one's an, an objection and the other one's a, a genuine question, right? Here's the objection. Some of you might be thinking, are you saying that enjoying the benefits of God is a problem? Doesn't the Bible continually speak of the benefits of following God? And the other one is, is a, bit of a, a bit of a question. Maybe some of you might be thinking this one. How do I know when I'm loving God's benefits more than God himself? I think that's a good question if you're thinking that. I'm not going to give you exhaustive answers, but I'm just going to stick something in the gap there for you so that you've you got something to take home and, and chew on. So let me, let me answer the first one uh, first. Are you saying that enjoying the benefits of God is a problem? Uh, I want to say this. God's benefits are not bad, <laughs> all right? They're just not bad. I'll tell you something. In any relationship, if it's healthy and it's running well, there will be benefits, all right? There's benefits to that, 100% every single time. And, and it's, it's no less true of your relationship with God. I mean, Scripture over and over teaches us about the benefits of following God. One of the most stark um, sections of Scripture on this is actually Psalm 103, uh, verse 2 to 5. 
Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his what? Are you guys okay? All right. I hope you're okay. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. I want to say to you, uh, categorically, there are great benefits to being connected to Jesus. Incredible benefits. But even in these, even in the benefits that you've seen in Psalm 103, you can love the benefits more than loving the person. And when you do, it gets weird. No one's saying that forgiveness is not good. No one's saying that healing's not good. No one's saying that getting out of the pit is not good. No one's saying that renewed youth is not good. You know the idea. But none of them are as good as knowing God personally. None of them are as good as getting Him. You know, there's a, there's a fine line between enjoying the benefits and enjoying the person. <laughs> Bottom line is that there's never a problem with getting benefits from God. The problem is, is when we uh, put the cart before the horse, right? That's what the problem is, when we love the things that He gives more than loving Him. Which leads us very naturally to the next question. Um, how would we know that? How would we know that we're loving what He's giving us more than we're actually loving Him? Well, I think there's two sides to, uh, to this coin. Um, and uh, let me just back up for a minute with the horse. So your horse goes well in reverse when the cart is in front of it. Let me just throw this out to you first. There's two sides to this coin. Uh, one way to know that you're only into someone for what you can get out of them and that you're only into God for what you can get out of Him is, um, you know, you only come to Him to get something. This is the people here in John chapter 6. They're coming to Jesus to get something. They want more bread. They're treating God like a miracle worker. That's what they're doing. Um, forgetting that you need to look through the physical to see Jesus. And so one way to... Um, one way to test this one, um, how do you know that you're uh, into who God is and not just into Him because of what you can get out of Him? I would ask this question, what do your prayers sound like? If, if uh, Now, Scripture is clear that you should ask God for the things that you need. But if you are only asking God for the things that you need, and it's like 95% of the sum total of your prayer life? I mean, that raises a question for me. And I think it ought to raise a question for you. Um, do you mostly just talk to Jesus to get stuff? Or are you actually interested in Him? Here's the second, uh, the other half of the coin. The first half of the coin of working out, I'm only into God for what I can get out of Him, is like... Um, um, you only come to him to get something. The other side of the coin is, uh, is this one. Um, how do you go when you're not getting the things that you think God should be giving you? What do you do when you aren't getting the benefits from God that you think you should? Now, this is the, um, this is the question, I think, that sums it all up. You know? And at this point, I'm not really talking... Uh, much about the kinds of things that Psalm 103 talks about in general. 
Um, but, but more about whether Jesus is giving you the things to make your life go the way that you want it to go. So what do you do when you don't get, it, get the benefits from God that you think you should? Do you drop him? Do you still talk to him? Do you still want to be close? You know, you, you know that you're not into the person if when they stop giving you what you want, you drop them. You know that you're actually not, not into them. Um, that's just kind of how it rolls. And this was actually what God and the devil talked about in Job chapter 1. Um, listen to this from Job chapter 1 verse 9 to 11. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. What's the devil saying? When the payoff isn't there for Job anymore, he's going to drop you like a stone, God. That's what's going to happen. And so in chapter 2, it goes even further. Uh, the devil has a similar conversation with God after taking away a whole bunch of things that Job uh, owned and, and, and his family. In, in chapter 2, the devil comes back and says, look, if you take away his health, he'll drop you then. Well, that'll be the line in which he's, he's not getting the payoff. And then his wife comes in, really encouraging lady. Job chapter 2, verse 9, she says to Job, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. Now, that tells you straight away at some level that Job's wife is like, if you're not getting the payoff from God, you just out, just tap out, just tap out. But do you know something? If you read through the book of Job, what you see over and over and over again is Job keeps saying, I just need to meet with God. There's times where he's kind of talking about, I've got, I need to have my day in court, but he's still talking about, I just need to talk to God. If I can get an audience with God, I'll be okay. Listen to this from Job 23, 3 to 5. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. I would lay my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know what he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. You know, Job proved that he was into God when everything was taken away from him. And you know something? The devil was wrong. The devil was wrong about Job. And you get to the end of the book of Job and it specifically, and God specifically says that Job didn't say anything wrong with his mouth. But you have over and over, it's going, I just have to get to God. If I can get to God, I'll be okay. Is that you? Maybe you're in a season where God's not rolling the way you want him to roll. Have you dropped him? There's a... Um, his book is how to print now uh, by a guy called uh, William Backus. And the book's called Hidden Rift with God. And basically in, uh, in the book, Backus argues that most Christians are angry with God because he's not making their life go the way that they, they want him to make it go. Is that you? I mean, we all have to put a hand up and say, yeah, that is all of us at some point in time. Verse 27 of John 6, Jesus goes on. He says, don't work for the food that perishes, physical food, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has set 
his seal. Jesus pushes in on them and he says, you need to be gunning for something higher, a better quality of bread. And the bread that is going to be handed to you, (laughs) this higher quality bread is coming from one who's sealed, who's certified, who's authentic, who's the real deal. This is a food that will last forever. In the sense, sorry, this is food that will give life forever. Um, But I want you to notice, uh, if you've got your Bibles open there, verse 27, Jesus is still maintaining a little bit of a distinction between provider and provision. Second point today. You've got getting stuff, giving yourself. Have a look at verse um, 27 to 29, actually 28 to 29. People said to Jesus, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Follow-up question is a good one, right? Um, If there's better food to be worked for, uh, what work do we need to do to get it? Now, these uh, these people are good students of Moses and... uh, Commentators kind of suggest that this part of the dialogue is probably happening in the synagogue at, um, at Capernaum there uh, because it's just got a bit of a, we want to make sure that we get things right here. It's, it's got a, that kind of layer to it. We want to know what kind of God-honoring honoring work that we need to be doing to guarantee God's affirmation. It, it's earnest. It's careful. They're wanting clarity, the kind of thing that we would expect to happen in a synagogue. But Jesus kind of flips it on them. And and it's a weird kind of flip. Have a look at verse 29 there. This is the work of God. So he switched it already. It's not the works. There's one thing that you need to do. (laughs) What's the work of God? That you believe in him whom he has sent. They don't need to do works. They only need to do one work. And what work is it? Believe. Now that's interesting isn't it? Now, you look at that and you just go, well, that's a strange kind of work, isn't it? Believing's a strange kind of work because it's a resting kind of work. You see that? Now, Jesus made really clear back in verse 27 that, um, that, that the work that's required To get this bread, Jesus made it really clear uh, that it's something that God gives. But there's a, there's a side to believe in uh, the book of John that, that requires um, us to do things. You know, at the end of the day, uh, for John, believing is about seeing Jesus for who he is and ongoingly trusting him. John does not have a category in the Gospel of John for just saying in your head, in a merely intellectual way, I believe that Jesus is who he says he is. There's always this idea that there's trust that's connected to believing in Jesus. Check this out. You go back to uh, John chapter 3, a a text we've already gone through uh, at church here. And notice what John does in John 3.36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not, and you would expect the word believe. But he switches it out. And the word he slots in there is, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. What's he doing? Well, to believe in Jesus 
doesn't just mean to intellectually agree that he is who he says he is. It means to actually trust in him, to obey him. You forsake your own notions of what you think is best and good and right and you acknowledge that he's Lord and you give yourself to him. That's what you do. Check the flow of the conversation out. They wanted the food for themselves. He tells them he has better food that they should be working for. They ask him, oh, what do we need to do to go and get it? He says they need to give themselves to him and rest in another. (laughs) Interesting, right? Interesting. This is unusual work. It's very unusual work. Now... I just want to just take a slight detour for a moment. Who knows that trusting in Jesus can feel like work sometimes? It can, right? This ongoing trust in Jesus can be really hard. I was talking with someone this week, and uh, they mentioned, um, so Peter, God's bringing out all these trust issues that I've got with him. And um, you know something? I didn't sit there and, and go, oh, it sucks to be you. <laughs> Glad that I don't have issues like that. He knows that um, ongoingly trusting and believing in Jesus is hard sometimes. Right? Um, we, we all have areas in our lives where we probably find it easy to trust in Jesus. Um, But there's places in every one of us where trusting in God, it's easier said than done. Does anyone give me a hearty amen to that one? It's just hard. It's like the Achilles heel, right? And and it feels like work to trust, right? It just feels like work to trust. But do you know something? The the believing that John speaks of... (laughs) It is, it is a seeing and a resting. It is something that God needs to do on our behalf, but it is something that we need to give ourselves wholly to. It's, it's resting in the work of another. And so I just encourage you, if you have got an area in your life at the moment where you're finding it difficult to trust in Jesus, your battle is a battle for rest. It's not a performance battle. It's a battle for rest and trusting in Jesus. What does God require of you? To see Jesus for who he is and to trust in him, to rest in him. That's it. And I'll tell you something. You know, John 3.36, John switched out the word believes for obey. Uh, If you trust in Jesus, of course you'll obey him. Of course. Of course you will. You wouldn't think of doing anything else. And you're trusting him. So getting stuff, giving yourself, getting both. Let's have a look at this last one. Verse 30 to 35. I wonder if uh, you've got your Bibles there. I'd love for you just to have a look at this, the flow of this. We'll just read this again. Uh, we're actually going to go 30 to 33. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What Work do you perform? You see what they're doing? Kind of going, oh, okay, you want us to do a work? Well, what are you going to do? What work are you going to do to persuade us? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. 
Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. I might just pause here, actually. You see what has actually gone on there for a minute? Uh, what, what I want you to see there is, uh, is something that act- actually is happening more broadly in the, the Gospel of John. And John's drawing these parallels between Jesus and Moses. That's what he's doing. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the feeding of the 5,000. And I actually called the sermon a couple of weeks ago a better Moses. Why? Because John was drawing a direct parallel between Moses and the people of Israel in the wilderness. Uh, and the provision of manna and Jesus' feeding of the 5,000. And at the end of the message a couple of weeks ago, um, I finished by saying that Jesus was a better Moses because he didn't just provide bread, he actually was the bread of life. Then last week, we looked at Jesus walking on water. Um, and you kind of go, well, what would that have to do with Moses? Like, a lot? I mean, did anything significant happen with Moses and water? Like the parting of the Red Sea, right? Um, but instead of Jesus walking through, he walked on. Do you see that? He walked on top of the water. Uh, you, you can see what's going on. Uh, Jesus is a better Moses. The Moses in a sense, in inverted commas, that Moses said was coming. He's saying there's a, a better one coming than me. Um, but you can kind of understand, in one sense, the people coming to Jesus and saying, what's, what's the, uh, the next trick that you're going to do? Because Moses actually brought this bread down from heaven, um, this manna down for 40 years over and over again. And so you've got the people there going, do it again, do it again and again and again. But their problem is that they quote Scripture wrong. (laughs) They got Scripture wrong there. Um, Because they made the focus of that Scripture, if you go back to it, it's it's in verse um, 31, Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus goes on to correct them and goes, You got the wrong He. (laughs) The He wasn't Moses, the He was the Father, and you missed the Father. That's what's actually going on. And then Jesus takes it the next step, and I'm going to put this uh, verse 33 on the screen, and he, he closes the gap between the provision and the provider. And you've got to notice this, because I think this is really significant. It's not anymore that Jesus is the one that's going to give this separate thing anymore. It's like Jesus is actually going to give himself for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. You want real life? You want Jesus. That's what you want. Now, pretty much everyone wants life. All right? Um, Almost no one wants death. When people want death, um, we normally think they need some help. But here's the reality. We, We all live... In a land of death. Since the fall, uh, death has reigned and it has had a profound effect in every area of life. And the area where death has had its most profound effect is, uh, uh, is the way that it separates us, where sin and death have actually separated us from God. And we are stuck, separated from God. And so it begs the question, right? It's like, well, how do I get life? Well, you need Jesus. If you don't know Jesus today and you're looking for life, it's because you don't know Jesus, so you don't have it. Jesus is life itself. 
And the only way for the people in the story here in John chapter 6 to get life, the life that Jesus is talking about, is to actually get him. What's the metaphor that Jesus uses for it? Well, bread. And I want to suggest to you that bread is a very, it's strange to say this, but it's a very personal metaphor. Um, Because the life um, that we so desperately want, the life that Jesus gives, is that we need to take Jesus in in a similar way to bread, in the way that it gives us life. You see, they came to Jesus wanting something that they thought they needed for life. But what they really needed was the bread of life in their souls. And so, you know, where this leads us, and we were helped by other uh, parts of Scripture, but this is, um, this is clear, I think, in this passage, is that everything good and life-giving, every legitimate pleasure, every good thing actually finds its origin in Jesus. Because you can't have life of any sort in its fullness without having Jesus, because He is the one who is life. It's just how it works. And here's how it rolls. We have a tendency to separate God from his gifts, but Jesus, but get Jesus and you get him and the gifts thrown in. And I want to finish this morning by, um, by reading a quote from uh, one of my favourite theologians at the moment. Her name is Julie Canless. Um, and there's a few technical words in it, but hang in, hang in till the end because I, I think this is incredibly, incredibly powerful. We are saved by Christ's vicarious life lived on our behalf. His filial filial obedience, sin-atoning death and triumphant resurrection. It is this life to which we are united by the Spirit for our salvation. Listen to this. A life which now is full of treasures for our taking. You believe that? You come to life in Christ, you, you eat Jesus, in a sense, as the bread of life, and all of a sudden, there are all these treasures for the taking there. But these treasures are not abstract things or concepts. One of the things uh, we talk about in um, <laughs> one of the things we talk about in uh, restore groups is we have this tendency to go to God and, and want to get things like he's some kind of cosmic supermarket, some cosmic uh, Coles or Woolworths. You know, you you can see that in the story of the rich young ruler that came to Jesus. And he said, how do I get eternal life? You know, many of us in in some way, shape or form have asked that question, how do we get life? And sometimes what we do is we approach it the same way that the people did in John chapter 6. And we think it's a thing out there, it's a commodity that we need to buy or purchase or own somehow. And you know, that's one thing that um, we just got to be on our guard about because our culture as a way of turning God and his gifts into commodities. And we just need to own that bit. We need to get that bit. If I get that, I'll be all right. What does Jesus say to the rich young ruler? He says, um, obey all the commandments. He says, yeah, I've done that. And then he says, go and sell everything that you have and come, follow me. How's the rich young ruler going to get life when he gets Jesus? <laughs> it's the same thing.
So these treasures are not abstract things or concepts. Rather, they bear the character of his life. They bear his imprint, which is the imprint of the Son. This is the best bit, this last sentence. We do not receive them incrementally, but through personally dwelling in him. This is the, I've bold and italicized it, right? And you could just stick that on the mirror, on your mirror at home. For he refuses to give us things in which he is not personally involved. You know, sometimes, sometimes I talk to uh, people who love Jesus and they're frustrated with Jesus. And what they're frustrated with Jesus is there's all these things that they want and he's not giving it to them. (laughs) And I think the reason why God doesn't give it to them is because they don't want him in those things. The people in John 6 didn't look through the physical bread to see Jesus, they just saw the bread. And sometimes we just see something that God can give us and just that's, it's a commodity to us. And so God goes, I can give that to you, but I'm not going to give it to you separate from me. I'm going to give you me and then you'll get that stuff. And so the challenge for us is, um, do we want him? Do you? Do you want him? It'll be a strange uh, illustration to finish on, but maybe the worship team can come up now. A number of years ago, there was a, um, there's a movie that came out, and uh, many of you would remember the movie. Um, name of the movie was Friends with Benefits. Does anyone remember that movie? Friends with Benefits. And uh, the movie was uh, really just a um, Hollywood kind of adaptation of a kind of thinking that goes around in different parts of society. And uh, so the phrase Friends with Benefits didn't originally come from, the, come from the movie. The movie picked up on the phrase and went with it. And you know what Friends with Benefits are? Friends with Benefits are... Uh, People who are friends, and it, it, it almost has got this definition. If you do a search on the net for it, it, it almost has this exact definition. It's, it's friends who are engaged in a sexual relationship without having to do relationship with each other. So they're just friends, and they have sex every now and then. But there's no strings attached. They can just have sex and do a physical thing and then just go back to being normal friends again. Jesus won't let you do that to him. He won't let you use him to get good stuff. But you just need to know that if you love him and you value him, there is a treasure trove of goodness that flows your way. Just don't put the cart before the horse. I wonder if you stand with me uh, and we'll pray.
Jesus, uh, there's a lot of us in here that love you. And we really like the things that you give and the blessings of being connected to you. But we just want to say to you this morning, we love you. We like you. And um, even if things dried up and things didn't roll the way that we wanted them to roll, we would still want you. We'd struggle. And God, there are some people here this morning who are probably in that category where some things, that have, dry, some things have dried up around them. Some of the blessings have dried up. They're in a season that's not awash with blessings at the moment. God, you know, you know their hearts. You know all of those prayers where they just want to talk with you, like Job. But just get an audience with him. Even when it's dry and when they can't break through. Still, in their heart of hearts, they, they want you. you, Jesus, who, uh, who gives life. We can suffer the loss of other things and still be alive as long as we have you. God, would you, uh, you stir up our affections for you and make us more alive as we feed on you bread goes into our bodies and, and intimately becomes part of our bodies. Would you, um, would you come into our souls, into our hearts, become intimately part of us and bring life to areas where death reigns?